So, good evening, everybody. As you know, tonight will be the formal opening of the retreat where we'll talk about and take together the refuges and precepts. But first, I would like to introduce the, the sixth member of our teaching team who arrived today, Alex Haley, sitting under the tree over there in the corner, <laughs> kind of our pseudo-Bodhi tree, whatever it is. Uh, Alex Haley is in the Spirit Rock IMS teacher training, and he's here to assist us, offer sign-up interviews and various other things that you'll be doing. really happy to have him. He comes from Minnesota. So... Thank you for coming, Alex. You'll be here for the first three weeks, and then uh, Aaron Treat will come for the next three weeks. Okay. Okay, thank you. So, when we start uh, retreat, uh, we always uh, take three refuges and the five precepts at the minimum. So I'll explain uh, what is the three refuges and the crowd will explain about five precepts and then we'll take all of this in Pali language. I think all of you have a paper. If you don't have a paper, raise your hand. There are some papers. You can get one outside there. They're on the table there. You can find. Please get So, before we take them, uh, let let me explain what are the three refuges. Actually, uh, the refuge uh, the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. So, in countries like Burma, I heard that monks and nuns and uh, lay people they take almost one year practicing this. It's a meditation in itself. Though here uh, we use it just to start the retreat officially, but it's really meditation itself. You can spend a year just reflecting on the, these three refuges. But here it's just uh, going to be used as a start, and you can use them in your practice. So we start with the Buddha. Buddha is a Pali word, which literally means uh, awaken one. That's what it means. And the Buddha, as you all know, is a historical figure who lived in India and attained enlightenment. Somebody asked him whether he's a god. 
I say, no, I'm just awake. So uh, the good thing about the Buddha never monopolized his qualities of enlightenment. He said in one discourse in Majmanikaya, he said that you can also become a Buddha. You can uh, overcome greed, hatred, and delusion. So you can, in other words, enjoy the qualities of the Buddha. It's possible. So you can become a Buddha yourself. And also you have a potential to become a Buddha. So when we take a refuge in the Buddha, there are two levels. One is ultimate level. In ultimate level, uh, we actually recognize the historical Buddha and also we recognize the potential that we can also be awake. Another level is to really uh, think of the retreat environment here, uh, how you can apply this. Uh, the qualities of the Buddha, there are so many, but we can maybe summarize them like purity, compassion, and wisdom. So, so in a retreat setting here, we can actually cultivate, practice these qualities of the Buddha. We can purify our mind. We can be deeply compassionate. We can be profoundly wise. We can actually cultivate these qualities of the Buddha. Then the Dhamma. Dhamma is another Pali word which is very common even in Hindu. In Hinduism they have it. It means natural laws. Literally it means to support. It comes from Dara or Dham. Pali word is to uphold, to uphold. So Dhamma is what upholds us. It upholds us uh, here in the practice. In other words, it really supports us so that we don't uh, enter into uh, tormenting mind states like uh, difficult emotions. If we practice the Dhamma, we are not affected so much by these emotions and if they come, we can deal with them uh, using the Dharma. So when we go uh, to the refuge, to the Dharma, uh, in ultimate, uh, ultimate sense, it means uh, <coughs> the four stages of an enlightenment. Uh, and then uh, final enlightenment, of course, Nibbana. That's what you want to uphold, uh, we aspire for. In a retreat setting, uh, we can talk about the practice of Dharma itself, uh, the practice of morality, ethical conduct, the practice of uh, concentration, the practice of wisdom. The entire practice that we are going to undertake here is uh, Dharma itself. So it's accessible in a retreat setting. All the teaching you are going to have, they are accessible to you. And there are qualities, six qualities are given traditionally that the Dharma is calling one to come and see, directly visible timeless, immediate, all, all those qualities of the Dharma, we, they are valuable. When you practice Dharma, you can see for yourself. Right here, directly uh, visible, that's one quality of the Dharma. Leading onwards, it leads to awakening, it leads to peace, it leads to happiness. So that's where it's inclined to. So we can also take a refuge in that case. Sangha, the third one, literally it means a community, a community. And uh, we are in our monastic tradition, 
we live in a sangha in a monastery and that's kind of ordained sangha in this uh, situation of taking a refuge it means uh, the Arya Sangha, the Noble Sangha, those who have attained, uh, attained enlightenment, they might be maybe ordained or not ordained, so we uphold them. They serve as a role model for us. They have done the work, so now it's us doing this work. So we want also to be part of, the, uh, uh, part of them. In a retreat setting here, on another level, we can take the qualities of Sangha. In our monastery, these qualities are unity, harmony, and support. We support each other. We come from different countries in our monastery, and here also we come from different countries. So we need to support each other. We, need, we are also united under one umbrella. And what is that umbrella? Is we are all aspiring to attain awakening. That's all, that's all what is bringing us all together here. Irrespective of the culture, country, we have the same aspiration to be free from suffering and uh, to cultivate happiness. So we're in one club, in other words. <laughs> So then we have, uh, in order to maintain that uh, uh, unity, so we need to support each other, we need to be harmonious. In terms of what we have to do here, maybe keeping silence. If you don't keep silence, you don't observe silence, then you are going to disrupt others. Then we are not going to, uh, we are not going to support each other because of your uh, behavior. So it's very, very important to remember these qualities. One is unity, and support each other, and harmony. So these qualities are accessible during the retreat here. And on another level, ultimate level, of course, remember that when you go to the refuge today, Sangha is actually upholding the noble Sangha, Savaka Sangha, those who have heard the Dhamma, it's called Savaka Sangha. Uh, also, another name is Arya Sangha. Arya means noble Sangha. So those are our role models. And then you're going to ask, where are they? Are they in Bari or New York? <laughs> they are there. The only thing they don't make to the newspaper. <laughs> That's the unfortunate part, but they are there. And even the Buddha said that uh, wherever there's the Noble Eightfold Path, there's, there's always going to be people awakened. The people have really actually realized the path. This is a question that comes up. Oh, Bante, have you ever seen a Latin being? Well, they are there, but they don't advertise themselves. <laughs> so, but we can stay rest assured that uh, when this path is existing, there are people who are practicing and they have realized it. Right? So, this is uh, three refugees that we are going to take in Pali language. I'll turn this to my <laughs> Dhamma sister here <laughs> to explain the five precepts, and then we'll take all together in Pali language. Ah, it can be longer. I save the time for you. <laughs> Take your time.
One of the many things that I love about the Buddha's path, about this path that we're all on together, is that in my, in my personal limited understanding, all the different aspects of the path that he taught, each of them, singly, and then all of them together, are for the purpose of purifying our heart, our mind, for seeing through and transcending the habits, as Bonte mentioned, of greed, of hatred, and of confusion. And so when we begin, as he, he, he said, taking the refuges, the appreciation, the contemplation of each refuge, as he said, is a practice in itself, which in itself brings a kind of a purity, a concentration, a focusing of the heart and mind. I've seen uh, nuns in Burma, from many of the nuns in Burma, the contemplation of the qualities of a Buddha is their main practice. And while it's not a practice that particularly speaks to me personally, seeing the effects of it in the brightness of their minds and their hearts and the focus of their mind and their hearts is really beautiful. You can see it's a practice that is onward leading, that's purifying the heart and mind from greed, from confusion, from self-centeredness, for example. And so working with the, the precepts, with ethics, with conscious conduct in a similar way is one aspect of the path, but it's not, when, when I first started practicing, of course every meditation retreat was founded on taking the five non-harming precepts as an integral part. It was, it was respected, but it was always kind of like, if you do the precepts, then your practice can proceed better you know, more calmly, which is true. But I feel it didn't give enough um, respect or power of really of understanding that just working with these five guidelines, training guidelines or non-harming behavior is in itself a very deep practice of purifying the heart and mind, of cultivating wisdom, of seeing through the suffering that arises here in our heart and mind when we're driven by, consumed by greed, by hatred, by confusion. To see that the suffering that manifests through our actions begins from the seed of confusion in our heart. And when we are really um, taking on as a practice, giving awareness to our actions using as a guideline these five training, um, training precepts as a guideline for restraining ourselves from actual behavior of body and speech that's harming. But it's not just an external guideline that we mindlessly adhere to. It's a reminder to bring awareness, this kind of awareness, this quality of discerning interest into seeing what's going on in our mind and heart when we have the impulse to act or speak in a harming way. So when we restrain, that's great. That's a, that's a movement of wholesomeness. That's a movement of non-harming. And noticing why, how it feels when we act out of harm, how it feels when we act out of non-harm. What's the effect both ways? This is the discernment of steady awareness that is in working with these precepts is really cultivating quite deeply 
It's leading us into a deeper purity of heart, a purity of mind. I ran across um, a a lovely sutta from the Buddha that I wasn't 100% familiar with about, can I find it? Yes. He's talking about the eight streams of merit, streams of the wholesome, nutriments of happiness. And the first three are going for refuge in the Buddha, in the Dhamma, in the Sangha. That they bring happiness to our hearts, to our mind. And then the other five streams of merit are what he calls the five great gifts. And that happens to be abstaining via the five precepts. So this is what the Buddha says. The five great gifts. Here, a noble disciple, having abandoned the destruction of life. So we recognize this is the first training guideline to to refrain from harming living beings. Here, a noble disciple, having abandoned the destruction of life, abstains or refrains from the destruction of life. By so refraining, she or he gives gives freedom from fear, freedom from hostility, and freedom from oppression to limitless numbers of beings. And he or she in return enjoys immeasurable freedom from fear, from hostility, and from oppression or affliction. This is the first great gift, the fourth stream of merit that leads to one's welfare and happiness. I just think that's so beautiful. By refraining from harming living beings, one is giving this great gift to measureless beings and is also in the same way receiving this gift of freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. And similarly with the other four training guidelines, the other four precepts. He uses the exact same language. A noble disciple abstains or refrains from taking what is not given, the second precept. Refrains from harming oneself or others with one's sexual energies, the third. Refrains, abstains from harsh, false, and abusive speech, the fourth. Abstains, refrains from liquor and intoxicants, which are the basis for heedlessness. So I know you are all familiar with these five training guidelines, but to really think of taking them on in this uh, context of each of them is a very powerful and quite profound area of exploration in our lives. They're not simple, as I'm sure you know. Just take the first one, refraining from harming living beings. Easier said than done, even with our full wholehearted intention. So taking these on to explore with awareness what's going on in our mind and heart if we harm, what was happening? What's the effect for others, for ourselves? When we don't, when we refrain, can we even tune into the possibility of 
offering this gift to limitless beings of freedom from fear, from hostility, from oppression. That may not be immediately accessible to our minds. I know many of us tend to focus more on all the times we've thought about doing something, breaking the precepts, rather than actually noticing all the moments of restraint or just even tuning in. How can my not stepping on this ant be a gift to limitless beings? But we don't know. We don't know. What's the effect on the world of a being, a very famous being like the Dalai Lama? Someone who, we quote him all the time because he's, he's famous, but he's so amazing in terms of his refusing to take on um, hostility, to act in ways that are harming, even when he himself and so many of his people are themselves suffering under great cruelty and oppression. There is one, one quotation I ran into him where, as, as usual, people were saying, how can you continue to not give in to anger when the government of, of China has so oppressed your people, your country, killed and imprisoned so many, destroyed nunneries and monasteries? And his, this is one of, you know, pick one of 10 million examples of what the Dalai Lama says. This is one, he says, maybe they have taken my country, but need I let them have my heart, my mind as well? The effect someone like that has on the world, just reading things he says. We don't know the effect that our commitment to acting from harmlessness to the best of our ability and our commitment to keep bringing in awareness to our motivations when we act from harmlessness and when we act from harm. Don't stop paying attention. Keep exploring, see what's going on, learning to understand with this eye of wisdom, this heart of compassion, understand when the seeds of suffering arise in our hearts and we act from delusion. Don't turn away. Pay attention and see. This is part, half of, our journey here. To really meet with wisdom and compassion the seeds of suffering in our mind and heart and see how they form, how they act. To see how with the eye of wisdom they lose their power. That's why it's hard. I mean, we're going to hit all kinds of stuff here. But the other half of our journey is seeing the seeds of compassion and the seeds of wisdom that also arise here in our mind, in our heart, and seeing how they flower and how it's really, it's almost like magic, how clear seeing and wisdom, when it sees a suffering aspect, it doesn't feed it. So that doesn't make sense, leads to non-clinging. When wisdom and discernment sees the wholesome, it naturally feeds it, it grows. It's like magic, but it's actually lawful. We don't have to do it with an act of will. So following, taking on these five precepts as training guidelines, as the Buddha says, then it follows naturally that we are free from remorse. It's not from an act of will. It's the law of nature. Freedom from remorse leads to calmness, leads to happiness, leads to concentration all the way up to awakening, as Bhante said.
So this isn't just something we do so we can have better concentration. It's actually a very profound aspect of our path. So just to remind you what these five training guidelines are. Again, the first is, and this is what we'll be chanting together in Pali, and I know it's on the sheets in English. First one is to refrain from harming living beings. Again, this is all intention. The second one is we take the training guideline to refrain from taking what is not given. Obviously stealing, but you can, you can see how what's cultivated in each of these is a wholesome, beautiful quality of mind. In this case, contentment, inner contentment. What we have is enough, not needing to feed greed. Ajahn Sumedho, who is a wonderful teacher, monk in the Thai forest tradition, said one time I heard him say that contentment and gratitude are very supportive conditions for enlightenment. So get contented. (laughs) Don't take what's not given and don't even want it and then you'll be happy. Anyway, not taking what's not freely offered. And exploring, what does that mean? Hmm, that, that, that shampoo in the shower, I know that's not the one that they offer here. It looks nice, let me just check it out. Now probably no one cares if you use the shampoo in the shower. But it's not that, it's checking out what's going on in your own mind and heart. Are you using it and hoping nobody comes and putting it back and drying it off so no one can tell? What's going on in your mind when you're doing that? What are you cultivating, you know? A lot more suffering than the lousy shampoo or not. Don't even wash your hair, forget it. But notice what's going on in the mind. So taking the precept not to take what's not freely offered. There's a great story of Guy's. Am I allowed to use it? When Guy was on staff here, Okay. (laughs) We were on staff together many years ago, but it was his story. He, uh, in terms of taking what's not given, and then the fourth precept, which is not using false speech. So one evening during probably the three-month retreat, he went back into the back of the kitchen into the big walk-in refrigerator, and he opened it up, And this was a long time ago. Probably most of you here weren't even alive, so it's definitely not any of you. (laughs) He opened opened the fridge, and there's a yogi in there with his hands in the date box. And he, being the gentleman that he is, Guy said, can I help you? And the yogi said, I'm looking for the maintenance office. (laughs) So... That's two precepts in one. <laughs> we'll try to go the other way, right? <laughs> but anyway, so not taking what's not freely offered. The third precept in our lay life is not um, harming ourselves or others with our sexual energy, which is quite complex, as we all know. On retreat here, we take uh, the fifth precept, which is really, if you were uh, in taking eight precepts, this is what becomes the third precept, which is um, of um, celibacy. 
for the period of the retreat. In lay life, the lay five precepts, it's not celibacy, but for the period of the retreat here together, we take the precept to be celibate, just not to act on any sexual energy, which isn't saying there's anything wrong with it, it's just to, to really, I actually see it as part of noble silence in a way, of really keeping our energy with ourself and for our practice. And the fourth um, training guideline not to use false speech, not to lie, not to use harsh, abusive speech. And I know you've talked a lot today about noble silence, which makes that all easier. Working with wise speech is a tough one in our lives. You know, it's just so easy. In the mind, out the mouth, or in my case, out the mouth before it actually came in the mind in any conscious way. But it's a big one to work with. Here, mostly noble silence helps, although you might watch some of the things you say to yourself and see if they're harsh or abusive. Just, just a hint. Um, but there will be a few times you'll need to talk, sometimes in the, in the work meditation, if you need to check with the cooks or the um, housekeepers, if you have some questions, if you need to talk to the manager about something in the interviews. Um, not to go nuts about it, but just tuning in and seeing what, what, why we're saying what we're saying. There's um, a guideline of the Buddha, a very simple one, about wholesome speech. A statement with five factors is well-spoken, blameless, and unfaulted by the wise. Which five? It is spoken at the proper time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken gently, in other words, not harshly. It is what is said is beneficial to the best of one's knowledge and spoken with a mind of goodwill. So this, of course, is the best of all scenarios, but it's just something to bear in mind. Not that you're going to, you know, have time to stop and check everything before you talk, but later sometimes if you say something you know, to, to the cooks or in the managers or in an interview, and you walk away feeling just kind of a little funny. You know, I, that's how I feel when I know I've shot off my big mouth. I go away and I just feel kind of, uh. And it's different from self-putting oneself down, but it's the, the sense that comes of having acted in a way that isn't quite wholesome. You just feel like a little off. And it's then really interesting to just explore and see, ah, that was said, it really was completely unnecessary. It wasn't bad, but it was completely useless <laughs> in terms of beneficial, not so much. That could be all. You don't judge yourself when we transgress or we go against one of the precepts. It's not like then we hate ourselves. So, oh, okay, bring in the awareness, see what happens. We can tell what's the effect of going against one of the guidelines, what's the effect of refraining? This is where the discerning mind of wisdom comes in and we naturally begin to incline more to the wholesome. It's not you get out the whip. It's like it becomes a a movement of love and faith. That it's just so much more happy to refrain from harm than it is to act in a harming way. That it just becomes more and more integrated into who we are. And then the fifth precept, the Buddha said to refrain from alcohol, from intoxicants that are the cause for heedlessness. So here, that's pretty clear. The one thing 
really we want to say to everybody is if you're on any kind of steady medication for any reason, please stay with it. He's talking here about recreational intoxicants and drugs that cloud the mind, but anything you need, if you're on pain medication or any kind of medication, please stay in it. The precept does not refer to that at all. So these are the five precepts. Great source of investigation, of happiness, and of wisdom. Bhante will take it from here. Okay, thank you for a wonderful talk. So let us take them and uh, for the preliminary homage we can sit together but when we go for the refugees I will do call and response, right? Uh, all the way to, uh, to the five precepts. So the first preliminary homage we all sit together, we put our hand together like this. One, two, three. Namo Tessa Bhagavat Arato Sama Sam Buddha Sam Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sam Buddha Sam Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sam Buddha Sam Buddham Saran that's called an Current response. <laughs> Buddham Saranam Gachami. Buddham Saranam Gachami. Buddham Saranam Gachami. Actually, they made a mistake, sorry. It should be Dhamma, sorry. <laughs> you said Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Sangam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Panati pata we ramani sikka padam samadhyami. Panati pata we ramani sikka padam samadhyami. Adinadana we ramani sikka padam samadhyami. Adinadana we ramani sikka padam Abrahmacharya Veramani Sikha Padam Samadhyami Abrahmacharya Veramani Sikha Padam Samadhyami Musavada Veramani Sikha Padam Samadhyami Musavada Veramani Sikha Padam Samadhyami 
Sura Miraya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikka Padam Samadhyami Ida me sila maga pala nyanasa pachaya hotu. Ida me sila maga pala nyanasa pachaya hotu. Okay, so pamadena sampadeta. Strive on with diligence. All right, so, so next time you, you see that one, you make Dhamma, not Buddha, all right? There's a, a misprint here, all right? Yeah, yeah, it's an issue. <laughs> so, um, now we have uh, saved a few minutes, and uh, I would like to give you some tips for meditation retreats because uh, we have up to 8.30, so I c- we saved some time. <laughs> so I can share with you something because I've attended uh, a few retreats and uh, I've had many people saying different things, but I can really remind you I think many p- teachers have talked about this, actually, even on this retreat. So um, I want to remind you uh, how to be successful in a, lo- in a retreat, actually. So you have to remember one word. It's called space, not spacing out. Spacing out is another thing. <laughs> so you don't want to space out during the retreat. You want to remember the word space. You give yourself enough space. S is an acronym that I've come up with uh, that really helps to put things together. S stands for slowing down. If you want to be successful on a retreat, slow down. When we come to meditate, you need to slow down. In other parts of the world, business world, in their life, you can go faster. The faster, the better there. Here, the slower, the better. I remember when I came here in 1999, um, Carl was a teacher and Guy was a teacher also there. So I was really racing and I, there were some yogis actually who were like really walking so slow. I said, how am I going to walk like these yogis? I mean, it was amazing. They were just role models. They were just really walking slowly. So I got to learn and I experienced it in my practice that whenever I slowed down, I could see things Clearly, it's like that fan. You see that fan? It has slowed down. You can count the blades. You can see the cobweb. But if it's running very fast, you can't see. So if you cannot really slow down your body, how are you going to slow down your mind? (laughs) Really, it's impossible. Because the body, I mean, it's it's not like the mind. The mind runs faster. So if you cannot control your body... (laughs) How are you going to have a hand on your mind? So it's a good reminder. These are just tips, actually. Uh, slow down, the first one. S stands for slowing down. You observe yourself. Uh, I cannot em- emphasize this enough. The more I slow down, the more you see things in the body, mind process. Of course, you have to be very careful when you are going to bathroom and, and you need to co- really find out what speed that helps you to be more mindful but there are certain certain areas that are really uh, you have to really adjust the speed now another thing s stands for also silence that one was already people have talked about this already so uh, you know what silence means 
fact, my, most uh, teachers have talked about this and it supports your practice. Now, P stands for patience. Joseph talked about that and perseverance, uh, perseverance that's uh, applying wise effort and all that. I don't need to talk more about that. Patience with, your, uh, with the unfolding of your practice. The way your practice unfold, try to be patient. Even when you have done so many retreats, every retreat is re different. Maybe the last one was easy one. This is difficult, so you have to be patient. Maybe it's the other way around. But if you want to set up for yourself for frustration, is to equate retreats. Oh, I, I did a 10 days retreat with Goenka, and now I'm here. It should be easy, actually. No, it's different. Every time is different. So be patient with the unfolding of your practice. Then A in space there stands for attention, another fancy way of saying mindfulness. So pay attention to everything. Don't leave out anything, whether you are eating, and bathroom, dressing. This is our practice as monastics. When you are dressing, these robes, uh, we have to really reflect on them as uh, we are turning them, as we are tying them. So it becomes part of meditation. So when you are dressing, when you wake up, when you are drinking. So attention to everything. I remember when I was practicing with Saido Ujanaka. Uh, then I used to go there thinking that I'm going to report about my walking and sitting. As soon as I entered in an interview, how's your daily practice? How about brushing your teeth? So, oh, what's this actually? <laughs> so, this is Sayad, I think also she has practiced with, with Sayad Ujanaka. It's amazing. Daily practice is very important. So, attention to everything, excluding nothing. So, that will make uh, your faster for your practice. So, A stands also for attitude, proper attitude towards the practice. Not pushing our things, not indulging in them, not ignoring them. So somebody will talk more about that, about developing proper attitude. A stands for attitude, proper attitude, attention. C, huh, here C is actually a lot of things involved there. <laughs> C, uh, I got to learn this uh, C when I was <laughs> practicing with Saro Pandita here many years ago, 2003, I think, at the Forest Refuge. Uh, the teacher asked me, oh, Buddha Rakita, you are protector of the Buddha, now you should protect the sea. Then he, he told me uh, about the seas. So sea stands for continuity. Continuity of your practice is the continuity, one mindful moment after the other. Not, okay, big, oh, one hour mindful, and then one hour, oh, you, you just lose it. And, and yeah, you're just in another space somewhere. You become a space, a space cadet. So, you don't want to become a space cadet. So, you want really to need one mindful moment after the other like this so that they come stronger. Actually, that's why even these clothes are stronger because it's one thread after the other. You can do like this, you cannot make a hole. <laughs> but actually, if it's one thread, let's say if there's a hole here and they start one thread and just touch only one thread because it's not supported with the other thread, then it's so weak. Then it can break through. So remember how you can gain concentration easily is through constant mindfulness. So it's continuity of your practice that's going to help you a lot. So also, uh, C stands for concentration, stay focused. It's also contentment. You've talked about contentment. 
So be contented with your practice also because you'll see people who are really going into their practice very fast, very wonderful yogis. In the first two days, they're just concentrated and you, you are really struggling a lot. Be contented with what's your practice other than comparing it with others and all that. So just be contented with what's arising in your experience with what uh, we have to offer here, the retreats and all that stuff we have to offer. Okay, concentration, contentment, uh, concurrence is so philosophical. We'll talk about that during Dharma talks, concurrence. So we, we stay with those three C's, continuity, concentration, contentment. E stands for expectation free. <laughs> yes, I mean it. <laughs> When I did my retreat here, whenever I went for uh, I went for interview with Joseph, I would come down. There's already a signpost there on this path. <laughs> there's nothing to expect for me. That was an amazing reminder, because I really, I mean, I came from far. I, I expected something here, you know. <laughs> from the airplane, I came from South America before I was in Africa. I was expecting something, and then after one week, something not, was not coming. <laughs> What's wrong with me, actually? <laughs> so, expectation actually is very good before you come for the retreat. So you have uh, to get somebody who's going to water for your plants, look after your dog, and all that. It's no problem. When, before coming here, no problem. <laughs> but when you come here on a cushion, it gets in the way. Okay, I'm going to sit here. Oh, yeah. Last time I was in Burma, I got into jhanas and all that. Yeah, now I'm here. Then you expect in one seat to get jhanas. First one, second, third, fourth. Enlightenment. All these things, expecting all these things. Uh, it might get in the way, actually. There's a saying that if you want to have a, a bad seat, have a good one the first morning. <laughs> I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a good one in the morning. But if you have one a good, a good one in the morning, and then the next subsequent seats, I'm telling you, it's really, uh, especially if you're somebody who's an expectation freak, uh, you're in trouble. So expectation free, okay. Another E, actually enjoy your practice. E stands for enjoy. Yes, not attachment to your practice, but really yeah, in fact, the Buddha said that, uh, in fact, those people are enlightened, they, they continue to meditate. And somebody asked why. It's for um, abiding in peace and happiness. It's vacation, kind of way. <laughs> you came here, you retreat, you're on a retreat, you have to retreat from difficult uh, situations. So, and then uh, settle back in your practice and. Uh, that's what the Buddha talked about, joy, actually. Joy is part of the practice in, in Buddhist teaching. Joy, to have joy. It's, uh, it's one of the conditions, it's one of the factors of enlightenment. That when joy arises, you feel happy. And in fact, uh, it's uh, the precursor to concentration. In fact, when I teach myself in Uganda and other venues where I teach alone, I tell people, breathe in happiness, breathe out happiness. Breathe in peace, breathe out peace. 
So I tell people when they're breathing to connect with something that they aspire for, happiness, joy, and all that. So I think that's a culmination of our practice is to have happiness, peace, enlightenment, awakening, joy. So I would say joy, but in order to feel, feel, e enjoy. Not attachments, but actually in a way of cultivating joy so that you can uh, proceed on your practice. Because sometimes when we have difficult mind states, sometimes we can't do tests our mind and body and yes but if you really relax and uh, just uh, send meta loving kindness and may I be well up and peaceful and all that and then you can actually cultivate these states of mind so you remember space S slow down silence P patience perseverance A attention proper attitude C continuity concentration you can also contentment E, expectation-free, or enjoy your practice. I hope that helps. At least that's what I use as a template as when I go for retreat. And uh, the, uh, I think we can sit for a moment or two. Unless you had something to say, no? Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.